welcome to the More to Story podcast. I am so glad that you've come along. Now, some of you will know that I had a former podcast that had a different name, but a similar type of emphasis to what I do now. Now, I'm going to be issuing this month, in the month of June 2022, classic replays from that former podcast. I'll have interviews with Israel Gaither, uh, Christopher West, Janet Dean, and then Tony and Lauren Dungy too. We'll be putting those out. Those were really fun interviews that went pretty far. And so I'm glad to share those again. You'll notice though that they don't have any video. So if you watch primarily on YouTube, you'll just hear the audio and we'll have a picture up on the screen that you'll be able to follow as well. Now at the end of June and the beginning of July, I'm excited to, that I have the opportunity to respond to some of you who've asked for some resources from me. Like people have indicated that there's, they often can't find small group or Sunday school curriculum that they really trust that comes from the, like a, a theology that they can trust. And so I've been excited to be able to go deeper into a study of the little book of Jude. And I've been amazed at how relevant it is for our time. Now you might say, Jude, is that, is, is that in the Bible or not? Yeah, it is. It's right before Revelation and it's just 25 verses, but I'm offering a course that will have six sessions and I have six bonus pieces of, of content as well. Discussion guides for small groups, almost five hours of content to help people go deeper into the book of Jude. And I think you'll be amazed. I, I truly was surprised and like pleasantly surprised how powerful this book was. And, and like, look, it's in the canon for a reason. And I think we should read it. I think we should study it. And I think when you do, I think you'll see that it has a significant power to connect to us with some of the challenge that we're facing facing culturally. culturally. So if you want to know more about that, go to my website, andymillerthird.com and sign up for my email list. That's the best way to get information. Now I'll be sharing some kind of uh, teasers of sorts in the weeks to come to get ready for that. It's going to come out the week of July 4th and it'll be a course that you can, you can take and there'll be a variety of ways that you can access it. So I'm glad to offer that. So you can go to andymillerthird.com. That's andymillerii.com. Thanks for checking out this, these classic replays, which will be coming out this month. It's a real treat to bring these to you. God bless you. Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. Today, I'm really excited to have with us Christopher West, who's somebody I came upon his ministry just a couple of years ago. And we are excited, Christopher, to have you on Captain's Corner. Andy, I am so happy to be with you and, and all your listeners. Well, you, you all will learn across this interview um, some of the things about the teaching that God's led Christopher to have and the ministry he's, God's given him across the world. He has a new book that has just come out. It's called Our Bodies Tell God's Story, Discovering the Divine Plan for Love, Sex, and Gender. And it's published by Brazos Press. It's brand new. And actually, as we get going here, Christopher and his organization have been very kind to donate five books to us, and they actually are signed. So if you are able to share this post, a post from Captain's Corner and share this podcast online and have a hashtag that says Captain's Corner. And if you're one of the first five to do it, we will send this book to you. So thank you, Christopher, for doing that. Thanks for sending that our way. Oh, my pleasure. Of course. No problem. One of the things about uh, your ministry is that you end up telling the story of Pope John Paul II's um, theology of the body and kind of translating it, not just from another language, but also into like a vernacular of culture that people can grasp. And as we, before we get that, I want to make sure to get this story in um, of, of my family's connection to John Paul II. Um, so my grandfather served as the national commander for the Salvation Army in the 80s. And, wow, your yeah, grandfather. Yeah, that's wow. right. Yeah, he was. Um, I, I share his name. Uh, I'm Andy Miller the third. My son's the fourth, 
and he had a unique ministry, and a lot of people who will listen to this podcast will will, will have known of him. Though we have some people here locally who listen in Tampa, and some people who are just broadly connected to the Salvation Army. Generally, our listeners are people who understand the Salvation Army as a church, and a lot of those folks would, would know him. Well, as a part of his um, kind of denominational representation duties, there was a time where he was set up to meet the Pope. Now, I can't, I'm not positive if this was in Vatican City or where this was, but there was probably, the way the story is told, uh, a couple of dozen denominational leaders in a line, uh-huh. and and the, the Pope was coming down and greeting all them, and he, and he was very kind of like, yes, yeah, I mean, like kind of just, it was like a regular thing, just kind of great, nice to see you, nice to see you, but when he came to my grandfather, and this has probably nothing to do with my grandfather's personality um, or anything necessary, necessarily about him, but about his uniform and that he's with the Salvation Army. The Pope grabbed my grandfather's hands, started jumping up and down. Then, and he said, I love the Salvation Army. I love the Salvation Army. You take care of people physically and spiritually. Then he took, uh. he took my grandfather and he danced around the room with my grandfather. He like, here he is in the full gear. My grandfather didn't quite know. My grandfather is also a very energetic person, but I think he felt like, all right, all the other guys in the line here, here we take over. So I just thought I would share that with you, um, kind of showing the connection. What a beautiful story. (laughs) So tell tell us about how you got interested. I know this is a very long question. I read your answer to this in the beginning of your new book, but how did you become uh, interested in uh, John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and I, go ahead and tell your testimony with that, too, if you, if you don't mind. Sure, sure, sure. So I was raised as a Christian, but I was, I was raised on what you might call the starvation diet gospel. Okay. <laughs> and by, by that I mean, you know, we all have these hungers in our hearts. We're all looking for something. There's this deep, deep ache yes. we all feel. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I, I quote often from popular music and things. And uh, as Bruce Springsteen said, everybody's got a hungry heart. Hmm. And, and that hunger is meant, this is what I came to learn from John Paul II, that hunger is meant to lead us to the wedding feast, the Amen. wedding feast of the Lamb Amen. proclaimed by Scripture, right? But, but in my world, growing up in, in the church, the, the message was basically your desires are bad, you need to repress all that because they're only going to get you in trouble, and you need to follow all these rules, and then you'll be a good, upstanding Christian citizen. And to be honest, I, I wanted to be a good, upstanding Christian citizen, so I, I tried to follow those rules. I tried to be a, a good kid. Mm-hmm. But two things debuted in my life, Andy, yes. in 1981 that made following those rules very difficult. Puberty yes. and MTV. Oh, wow. <laughs> bo- both of those both of those forces were just screaming at me, just just do it, just indulge. Right. You're hungry, go go eat. Hmm. And so I became, in my teenage years in the 80s, I became a quick convert to what I call the fast food gospel, Okay. which is the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification for the hunger. Yes. Now, I'm a hungry person, so if the only two choices are the starvation diet approach— and the fast food approach, well, I'm going to go for the chicken nuggets. Yeah. I'm yeah. hungry. Yeah, sure and, sure. and don't lie to me. They taste really good going down. Right. But, uh, you know, if, if fast food becomes your steady diet, 
how you're going to feel after a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the documentary called Super Size yes. Have you seen that, Andy? Oh, very painful. The yes. guy who... Yeah, the guy eats McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for thirty days straight to see what would happen to him. Right. And at the end of the, at the end of the story, at the end of the documentary, he goes to the doctor and he gets a bunch of tests done, and the doctor says basically you're dying. Your your body wow. is shutting down. Wow. From all the grease and the sodium. Well, that's a picture of me, spiritually speaking, in my college years. Right. Having wow. eaten a lot of that fast food, I'm I'm a hurting pup. Yeah, and I found myself in in a college dorm in 1988, on my knees, saying, "God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me why you gave me all these desires, because they're getting me and everybody I know into a heck of a lot of trouble." Yes. What is your plan? Do you have a plan? And I started studying the scripture. And between like 1990 and 1993, I was studying the Bible uh, every day. Of course, I still do that. But this was my my first try, really, to enter into the Scripture and really to try to understand God's Word. Right. And and specifically, I was looking for answers to my question about desire, about sexual desire, about right. why did God make us male and female in the first place. Right. And over that three-year period of, of Bible study— I came to see what I would now call, Andy, this grand spousal vision right. of the Scriptures. Spousal, the Bible like the begins, word spouse, friends. Like, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spousal, yeah, like, the, like the, it's a story about marriage. Right. From Amen. beginning to end, the Bible tells a story about marriage. It begins with a marriage in an earthly paradise. Right. Throughout the Old Testament, God speaks of his love for his people as the love of a husband for his bride. Amen. When, when, when Israel is unfaithful, the prophets say you've committed adultery against, against God, yes. against your, your heavenly bridegroom. And in the New Testament, the love of the heavenly bridegroom is literally embodied when yes. the Word is made flesh. Amen. Skip to the end of the story, and the book of Revelation describes heaven— as a wedding. Amen. Yeah. The Bible begins with a wedding in an earthly paradise and it ends with an eternal wedding in the eternal paradise. Yes. I, I came to see that when you look at these bookends of the Bible, you discover the key that unlocks the whole story. Hmm. And here's here's the whole Bible in five words. God wants to marry us. Amen. I've quoted that, you on that and uh, on sermons I a few times, because I, that's such a powerful line. Keep going, keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, not at all, not at all. I, I just, this was, this, studying the scriptures and seeing it in this way was just changing my life. And, and I remember, this is now the early 1990s. Okay. And I was sharing my, my insights, what I was learning and praying through. I was sharing it with friends and family members and people I was in Christian community with at the time. And, and I was getting a lot of strange looks. Hmm. I was getting mm-hmm. some odd stares, and, and, and I was getting this message that, you know, you're just obsessed with, with all this uh, marital imagery, and right. maybe it's because you're in your early 20s, and you right. really desperately want to get married, and, and I think you're exaggerating this stuff. And I, I thought, wow, I, I, I really think I'm onto something here, because it's changing my life, right. and it's wow. setting me free inside from all kinds of addictions and distortions in my life. 
Well, here was the really life-changing moment. And I remember the day specifically because it was my 20, uh, my sister's 20th birthday. Mm-hmm. So this was September 26, 1993. And, and she had uh, one of her theology teachers from her high school that she went to over to my parents' house for dinner. And I knew she was trained in theology. So I started sharing some of my ideas with her to see what she would think of what I was saying. Yeah. And these were the words that changed the direction of my life. She said, oh, you must have read John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Wow. <laughs> I said, uh, no, no, what, what's that? She said, oh my gosh, you haven't read it? You're talking just like John Paul II. Now, I remembered from a kid, you know, that this Polish guy had become the Pope in the Catholic Church, and, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about what he taught. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember reading this Theology of the Body for the first time, in 1993, and Andy, this was a confirmation of everything I had been learning, and of course, it took me to a whole new level of understanding, and the, 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 this crazy Polish guy was telling me the desires I had inside are meant to lead me to God, that, and that, that those desires have a name, hmm. and he used the, the Greek word eros, mm-hmm. E-R-O-S, and now, in my mind at the time, I heard Eros, and I was thinking of our kind of pornographic culture. But he says, no, 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 you must never confuse the word Eros with another Greek word called porneia. Mm. And we can, we can tell what English word we get yeah. from porneia there, right? And he said, porneia is the distortion of Eros. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he said, Eros is the God-given yearning in the human heart for everything that is true good and beautiful. Here's, here's an analogy I, I use. I like to say, God gave us eros to be like the fuel of a rocket that has the power to launch us to the stars, yeah. to infinity and beyond, <laughs> as, it's, as, uh, as they say the in Buzz the Toy says, Story yes. movies, right? Buzz Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear, that's right. Uh, but here's the problem, Andy. Yes. There's an enemy who doesn't want us to reach the stars. Wow. And when sin entered the world at the deception of the enemy, our rocket engines became inverted. Hmm. This is why we go out into the world looking for love, looking for happiness, looking for joy, and so often it backfires on us Mm -hmm. because those rocket engines are inverted And here's the good news of the gospel that I heard from this crazy Polish guy, John Paul II, that changed my life forever. This this is my own analogy, but but the truth behind it came from him. It's basically this. Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. Hmm. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. Amen. This changed my life. Wow. And I knew then, I knew then I would spend the rest of my life studying this theology of the body. I, I really believed that I had discovered something that was as big as the cure for cancer. Wow. Like this, this was the, the biblical Christian response to the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it demonstrated that Christianity does not say give up the fast food to come over here and starve. Hmm. Christianity says rather give up the fast food 
so that you can come into the banquet. Amen. Christianity is an invitation to a wedding feast. Amen. To a wedding feast. Yes. And I, I knew then I'd spend the rest of my life studying this theology of the body and sharing it with the world, Andy. And uh, God, in his goodness, has opened the doors for me to do that work, and I've been yeah. doing it for over 25 years. Wow. It's so, like as you're saying this piece of comparing the fast food diet compared to the eternal wedding feast and celebration and that we have waiting for us and available for us now, there's a sense that, you know, often we're just glad to settle, to have some cheap uh, plastic silverware and take our fast yes, food. Yes. And uh, I, 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 that's, and you do an interesting thing. I think I'd love for you to, to, I've heard you do this in a few talks that you've given and in your books. You compare John Paul II with Hugh Hefner, and you talk about him being the kind of the master of McDonald's, so to speak. Like he's the master of the fast food diet. Talk, talk yes, to me about that. Yes. I mean, they came around at a similar time. I mean, t t talk to me about that contrast that you draw. Yeah, sure. And let me let me comment first on yeah, what yeah, you yeah. said there about set, settling. How we just settle, and this this is C.S. Lewis, and and then I'm I'm happy to get to that. Oh no problem. Hugh Hefner yeah, idea, but we can. Yeah. C.S. Lewis says this. It's so insightful. He says when we consider the unblushing promises and the rewards of of the gospel. Yeah. He says it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Wow. He says we're half-hearted creatures. We're fooling around with with alcohol and illicit sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Amen. He says it's, it's like we're an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum yes. because we, we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the beach. Amen. Yeah, I love that quote. And, and we're, we're far too easily pleased, he says. See, this is it. The, 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 when we take our hunger to, to finite pleasure— mm -hmm. We have, we have reduced our desire because we are made for infinite joy. Amen. And so I, I say we have, we have three choices with that ache inside us. We have three choices yeah. when it comes to desire. We're either going to become a stoic and just repress it all, right. or we're going to become an addict and indulge in the finite pleasure, yeah. or... We're going to become an aspiring mystic. Hmm. And the aspiring mystic is the person who learns how to open that yearning for the infinite to the infinite. Hmm. So we're not called to repress it. We're not called to be the stoic. The stoic just repress, repress, repress. Well, the addict, the addict says, I'm hungry, but I don't know about the banquet, so I'm going to take it to the fast food. Right. And this, this is the, the very definition of addiction. Addiction happens when we aim our desire for infinite joy at finite pleasure. Hmm. Because the finite pleasure never satisfies. So we think we need more and more and more and more of it. Right. We're, we're made for infinite joy. Jesus says, go out into the main streets and invite everyone to starve? Hmm. No, that's not what he says. He says, go out into the main street and invite everyone to the wedding feast. And, and here's where a character like Hugh Hefner, right. we can begin to understand 
we can begin to understand why he did what he did when he started Playboy magazine in, in 1953. And here's what he himself said. He said, I started Playboy magazine as my personal response to the hurt and hypocrisy of Puritanism. Wow. Which, and by that, he means that that fearful rejection of the body. Mm hmm. He says, I started Playboy magazine as my personal response to the hurt and hypocrisy of Puritanism in my strict Christian upbringing. Hmm. Wow. In other words, Hugh Hefner says, we're not meant to starve, and he's right. The mistake Hugh Hefner made was to direct our desire at the fast food. Right. And it became a, a very gift. profitable direction. Right. He, it sure did. I mean, hey, we're all if those are the only two choices, starvation or fast food, which one wins? Right. Fast food. Fast going, food is yeah. going to win. But if the choice or the contest is between the fast food and the banquet, which one wins? Mm -hmm. The banquet's going to win. <laughs> People just have to be able to see it. You just have to have a window body. into it. And in the theology of the body is kind of the a window into that. And the um, in, you use an analogy that's helpful to me too, where you describe um, a car. If a car is running and it has deflated wheels, it's not going to be able to accomplish the same things. Instead, our our the wheels of our car were meant to be fully inflated. And if if we're if that's all, it, but you know, a, a car without with the wheels deflated is better than walking. <laughs> so yes, some, yes. or maybe seems so that way. So the analogy there, that's based off of what Jesus says in his conversation with the Pharisees. And, and this is where the theology of the body begins. It's, okay. it's so important to know, and I explain this in great detail in, in the book that you were mentioning earlier, Our Bodies Tell God's Story, that, that the theology of the body is a Bible study, and mm. it begins with the words of Jesus. When the Pharisees come to Jesus, they question him about divorce. They say, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Moses allowed us to divorce our wives. What, what do you say, Jesus? Mm -hmm. And Jesus' response is very, very important. He says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. And then he says, but from the beginning, it was not so. Right. The whole power and potency of salvation is contained in these words, of Jesus. If we're, if we're willing to, to dig deep enough, we will find in these words of Jesus the whole power and potency of salvation. What do I mean? In the beginning, it was not so. Jesus is saying there was an original plan for man and woman that has gone wrong. He's saying, you think all the difficulty, the struggle, the pain, the frustration in the male-female relationship you just think this is normal. In the beginning, it was not this way. Mm. And here's the analogy with the car. It's as if Jesus is saying, look, you guys are driving around town in cars with flat tires. Hmm. In the beginning, they had air in their tires. Hmm. <laughs> and the good news of the gospel is that Christ came into the world not to condemn those with flat tires, Christ came into the world to re-inflate our flat tires. If we don't understand this, right. 
We don't understand anything of what the gospel holds out to us. And, and where we need that air in our tires most is, is right here. This is, this is why Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding. Yeah. It's a wedding. He comes to a wedding to, to reinflate their tires, so to speak. But the biblical image here is we've all run out of wine, hmm. right? W- wine is a symbol in the Bible of God's love poured out for us. And the very purpose of the sexual relationship is to share that wine of God, to share that love of God. But there's a basic principle here. You cannot give what you do not have. Hmm. If you've run out of wine, which we all have because of original sin, you don't have that wine, you don't have that love of God to share. This is why Moses allowed us to divorce, because we had run out of wine. But ah, now, now, Andy, we can see the power of that first miracle of Jesus. What does he do? He restores the wine in super abundance. Right. He he says, uh, you know, now most people bring out the you know the best wine at first, but now at the end, why the 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 attendant says, uh, but you save the best for last, and then there's there's more of it. Exactly, which means the wine that we have now is even better than the wine they had in the beginning. Amen. Wow. And how much wine did Jesus bring? Do the math. The, the Bible says that there are six stone jars, each containing an average of 25 gallons. Hmm. Okay, that's, that's at least 150 gallons wow. of the best wine imaginable. That's like 750 bottles. Wow. <laughs> where, where, where do we get the idea that Jesus is a party pooper? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be careful here in the Salvation Army. We're teetotalers, but we get the analogy. Never. <laughs> but, but hey, hey, Jesus brought the wine. I'm I know, I know. It it's right, it's right in the. I vine. know. I, I can't avoid that. Look, look. I, I deal with it quite often when we um, new new folks come in and. Uh, I, we, Salvation Army, and we try to say very clearly, we don't believe that this is a sin, but this is a stance we take, particularly as our work with um, people who are rehabilitating from alcoholism and that sort of thing. But I'm, I'm just joking with you here a little bit. Like, of, of course, and I love, love the imagery of it, and I look forward to, in the new creation, having some wine with Jesus. That will be great. Amen. <laughs> there it is. That's what, and that's what it's an invitation to. Amen. It's an invitation to the new creation. Right. And remember the other thing Jesus says about new wine. He says you can't pour new wine right. into old wineskins. Yes. There has to be a new creation. And that the new creation is given to us. Of course, it's not fulfilled until the end of time when Christ returns. But we see it even, even now we begin to see it at Pentecost, right? Yes, yes. And, and what did they accuse the, the apostles of on Pentecost Day? When the love of God fell on them. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They thought they were drunk. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. With the Hugh Hefner thing, it's so interesting to me. When you bring it up, I didn't, when when I first heard you present that idea, um, I I would have never imagined that John Paul II, who was, uh, you know, went by his original name at the time, um, would have, like, they would have been, come around at the same time. You know, it's like it's like almost yeah, God raised him up. That's right. God raised up. That's right. 
the Pope, I mean, John Paul II, to be a counter to this. And um, I think now, like, uh, I think what we'll gradually see is probably Hugh Hefner's witness go away. I mean, not witness. Is that exactly. Right the word? But, but yeah, hopefully through mean. your yep. writing, like his influence, let's say, hopefully through through your writing and this message, and, and some folks might know that you're uh, you, in the Catholic tradition, um, this this has a wide-reaching um, like scope that it goes far beyond any of those denominational lines. I think even that's part of why um, John Paul II grabbed my grandfather like he did and jumped around the room with him is because there was this connection to the physical world that the Salvation Army is so attuned to that, 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 that of course, this is me kind of like looking back and interpreting it with my own glasses. <laughs> but but I, I think it's amazing how God uh, raised up John Paul II um, to counter this terrible assault on the body. Yeah, see, the, the, the interesting historical bit here about Hugh Hefner and, and John Paul II being contemporaries is right at the same time, Hugh Hefner started Playboy magazine as his response to the puritanical approach to the body. John Paul II, he was a young priest at the time. He was already unfolding this beautiful, beautiful biblical vision that responded to the puritanical approach, not by bringing people to the fast food, but by bringing people to the bank. Yeah. And, and I would say that the pornographic approach has been like a, a wildfire. It, it flared up very quickly. It spread around the world. But you know what happens to wildfires when, when they, they hit their maximum, right. Right they die them. out right away. Mm-hmm. But see, what John Paul II started was like a slow burning fire that is based on the fuel of eternity. Wow. So it's never going to go out. It's a divine fire. It's wow. that fire of the, the Song of Songs, when, when the, the Song of Songs says, love is, is a vehement flame, rivers cannot put it out. Hmm. Imagine a fire so intense that, wow. that the Mississippi River could not put it out. Amazing. I mean, that's the, that's the fire we're talking We're talking about this fire of divine love. And when we say theology of the body, yes, yes. what we're saying what we're saying here is that our bodies tell a divine story. And that's the title of your book. And that's it. So you come in, and, and it, 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 I read your first version, too, which is called Theology of the Body for Beginners. And I'm glad to be a beginner as I was working through that in that sense. But the, this new version, like new expression of your thought, you often say this line. You say, our bodies are theology, or our bodies are theological. Maybe you're start, starting to address that, but I'd love to hear... You flesh that out a little bit. So here, here's the point about theology of the body. We're, we're raised in a world to treat our bodies as something merely biological. Mm-hmm. Certainly our bodies are biological, but if we reduce it to that, we're going to miss out on the fact that our bodies are also theological. Mm-hmm. They tell God's story. Now, let me give you an example. I, I, I draw from the catalog of music that I was raised on in the 70s and 80s. So this is an old 80s song by Peter Gabriel. You'll probably know it. It goes, um, in your eyes, the light, the heat, in your eyes, I am complete. And then listen to the next line. This is amazingly insightful. He says, in your eyes, I see the doorway to a thousand churches. 
Wow. See, that's, that's a theological vision of this woman's eyes. Wow. He sees something theological here. Now, if we were to reduce that song to something merely biological, it would go like this. In your eyes, the cornea. <laughs> in your eyes, the retina. Right. <laughs> in your eyes, I see the lines of a thousand bloodshot blood vessels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I once had a student who said to me, when I did that, I said, the student said, Christopher, stop it. You're ruining the song. <laughs> and I, I said, yes, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. When we wow. reduce our bodies to something merely biological, right. we ruin the song. What song? God is singing to us an eternal love song. Amen. The Bible begins with a marriage. It ends with a marriage. And guess what is right in the middle of the Bible? Awesome, a song. <laughs> it's called the Song of Songs. Wow. It's the great erotic love poetry of the Bible. And as the saints have understood for centuries, this erotic love poetry. A lot of people today, if you're raised on that starvation approach, people are like, what's this doing in the Bible? Sure. But oh my, if you understand the whole message of the Bible is about God wanting to marry us, yes. then the fact that this erotic love poetry is right in the middle of the Bible makes complete, total sense. Yes. It summarizes the whole message. The love poetry of this married couple in the Song of Songs is a sign that points to a greater love poet poem, a greater love song. It's the love song that God is singing to us. Amen. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, this is Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 32. Right. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. For what reason? Then he tells us, he tells us the very reason we are male and female, the very reason we have these desires for union, for love, for intimacy, is it's meant to be a, a, a sign that points us to Christ and his love for the church. Paul says, this is a great mystery. Right. And it refers to Christ and the church. Think about it. Christ left the home of his father in heaven. He left the home of his mother on earth to give up his body for his bride hmm. so that we, the church, the bride of Christ, might become one flesh with him. Hmm. This, is, this is the great mystery. This is the great gift of holy communion with God, right? This is, yes. what, this is what the Lord's Supper is. This is what that, it's, a, it's a renewal of the covenant. And I, I quote in my book, Our Bodies Tell God's Story, I quote here from, from Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. Tim Keller said it very well. He said, the Bible is full of covenant renewal ceremonies. Hmm. And he says, the ultimate covenant renewal ceremony is the Lord's Supper. He says, here in the Lord's Supper, we reenact the total commitment and oneness we have in Christ as a way of renewing and deepening that oneness. And then he says, in the same way, when spouses become one flesh, they're entering into a covenant renewal ceremony 
for their marriage. Hmm. That's what sexual union is supposed to be in God's plan. It's meant to be the renewal of the marriage covenant itself. Wow. And it's, it's like you're saying like a sign. It's a, it's a pointer. It's something that's directing us to something eternal. And that's why you know, the, we'd understand you know, what Jesus says that we won't be married in the new creation. Exactly. When Jesus says in the resurrection, in the new creation, we're no longer given in marriage, what he's saying is you no longer need a sign to point you to heaven, right. to the new creation, when you are in the new creation. When, you are, <laughs> when you're in the new creation, right, you'll you know be it. living the marriage of the Lamb. Wow. You'll be living that eternal union. And remember, the Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the Church. Awesome. And you no longer need the, the first marriage is meant to point us. You no longer need the pointer when you're there. Yeah. You're there. Well, there's several uh, folks that you draw upon in your book, like influences, and um, I've been deeply influenced by the preaching and writing of Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. He was, I went to Asbury University where he was president in yes. Asbury Seminary where he taught. Actually, my grandfather and he were great friends, and I, I actually, I, I have an audio tape of me sitting down with him for three hours just uh talking and listening and asking him questions, and his grandkids are friends of mine. Um, so I, wow. I was really delighted to see in this book, you, uh, the new, this new book, you quoting him several times. So I'm really curious how you came upon this Wesleyan holiness thinker and preacher from Wilmore, Kentucky. Did you, did you know Dr. Kinlaw? Or tell me about— I did not know him, I did not know him personally, but okay. he, he himself was greatly influenced by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Yes. And I, I was introduced to his work through uh, an Anglican friend of mine named um, Tori Bacham. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he was at Asbury Seminary while I was there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so he clued you in to, to Dr. Kinlaw. So uh, this is where I first heard this idea, though I think you've kind of taken it to another level for me. Um, I remember very clearly, like, Dr. Kinlaw asking me, and this is kind of his way, um, would you be sitting with him and he would ask you a question, which you obviously did not know the answer to. He's like, have you read Scott Haifman's dissertation on 2 Corinthians? Well, Dr. Kinlaw, no, I haven't. I'm sorry. Or he would like ask these questions. Um, and, and I remember when he was going through, he's like, what metaphor? What metaphor do you think uh, is used throughout the scripture most? And so he goes through to describe the relationship with us in Christ. Rather, it's the judge. Rather, it's the kinsman redeemer. Whatever it is. And... Um, and I just remember him very clearly saying, it's the nuptial metaphor, like you're saying, yeah. all throughout Scripture. And he, this became something that, uh, I don't know if it was for his whole ministry, but when I was around him the last 10 to 20 years of his life, um, something that he was talking about all the time. And he was connecting this to the doctrine of the Trinity as well. Um, so th yes. these thoughts are so. So how? What did you pick up from Kinlaw? I'd love to hear you talk about that. Or is I, I know I maybe didn't sure. prepare you for that. Yeah, here's one of my my quotes uh, from Dennis Kinlaw in chapter four of Our Bodies Tell God's Story. Chapter four is called "Will There Be Sex in Heaven?" And I begin with this quote from Dennis Kinlaw. Mm -hmm. He says this: "The climax of the story of redemption is the marriage of the Lamb." in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. If history began with a wedding in Eden and closes with a wedding in the New Jerusalem, 
the biblical story runs from wedding to wedding. Yeah. From the temporal symbol to the eternal reality. Yeah. That's exactly what we were just saying yes. about why why there's no marriage in heaven. Well, there is marriage in heaven, but it's the real marriage. Yes. The real marriage is the marriage of Christ and the church. This this Andy, if we let this sink in, it will save us hmm. a tremendous amount of suffering in this life. Yes. And here's why. Yeah. Remember I said we have inverted rocket engines? Right. It's a great image. Yes. With those inverted rocket engines, when we enter marriage with inverted rocket engines, hmm. we are inevitably going to demand from our spouse something that only God can provide. Come on. Yes. We are going to demand a perfect love. Yeah. We are going to demand a perfect fulfillment. And we're going to be very, very disappointed when the experience of married life doesn't take away that hunger, yeah. doesn't take away that ache. I got married in 1995, and I was already studying this theology of the body. I was already teaching this theology of the body, and I understood in my head very well that Wendy, my wife, was not meant to be my ultimate fulfillment, mm -hmm. right? Yes, there, there are two bookends in the Bible. The Bible begins with the earthly marriage. It ends with the heavenly marriage. I really want the heavenly marriage. This is just a sign. I got the theology. Good, great. Let's get married. Hmm. But still inside, in many ways, I was bent towards hmm. my wife. Mm -hmm. And I was wanting her to do something for me that only God could do. Wow. And when she couldn't do that for me, I became upset. I became embittered. I became resentful. I became angry. I became uh, demanding something of her that she couldn't provide. Wow. And, and it was years into married life that I was realizing what I'm really guilty of here is idolatry. Wow. See, marriage in the biblical vision is meant to be an icon of heaven. Mm-hmm. But when we expect marriage to be something more than an icon, when we expect marriage to be the fulfillment to which marriage points us, right. then we turn the icon into an idol. Hmm. And this is the problem with the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution told us that sex would be your ultimate fulfillment. Right. Well, well how, how's that working out? Um, right. Do we have a more happy culture? Do we have a more fulfilled culture? You know, 60 years now into the sexual revolution, I would say we're at the final lap of the sexual revolution. And, and here's why I say that. Because we eventually will despise everything we idolize. Hmm. Why? Because the idol, the, the idol never, ever satisfies. The right. idol never fulfills what it promises it will fulfill. And then we get mad at the thing we idolized. Yeah. And this is what's happening in our world today. Rather, just take a notice of what's going on in the culture out there. Rather than seeing the sexual difference mm -hmm. as a great mystery, right? That's, that's how the Bible talks about it. Yeah. The sexual difference is a great 
mystery. Today, we are seeing the sexual difference as a great misery. Wow. Yep, sure. And we, we see it as a misery because we demanded something from the sexual reality that it couldn't provide. Right, right. We demanded an ultimate fulfillment. And, and I just had uh, a few that. weeks ago, or, or sorry, a couple months ago, I had Dr. Julie Slattery on the podcast. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, she has, uh, she's a counselor and she was a part of Focus on the Family and now has her own ministry called Authentic Intimacy. And one of the ways that we've done, like we've handled this, the reverse rocket engines is um, not just, there's the starvation diet side to this, but also the advent of purity culture. And while she recognizes the need for purity, uh, she kind of highlights the dangers of that and how we end up putting all of our eggs in this basket of our wedding night. And somehow, if that can just happen, then we should have all our sexual fantasies ever met in this life. And again, like if we listen to what you're saying, if we listen to this big story of scripture is that we need to be pointed towards something else. It's just a pointer. But she she has an interesting way of describing, like countering the, the sexual revolution and even the purity culture. She says we need to have uh, sexual discipleship, and, and, and she uses the language sexual integrity ahead of some of that other language. And I think that that's helpful too. But is it, if you can fold that idea into the bigger picture of what our bodies tell us and where we are pointed, I think that's a compelling, engaging picture for us for how we live. Um, this is exactly, Andy, the, this is exactly what this book, Our Bodies Tell mm. God's Story, is all about, is, is rediscovering what, what purity really is. Now, when, when you say the word purity culture, yeah. and I know exactly what she's criticizing, and it is, it is worthy of being criticized, because there's still, in the, quote, purity culture, end quote, there's still, as you were pointing out, a kind of idolatry of the wedding night. Right, right. We're expecting the wedding night to be this grand fulfillment that the wedding night can't possibly be. Right. Sex is not our ultimate fulfillment. Right. And, and here's the point. Purity. What is purity? Jesus tells us what purity is. Blessed are the pure of heart. Right. For they shall see God. Hmm. See, purity is, is not this idea of, merely saving sex for marriage, right? right? This idea of abstaining from sex until this time, and suddenly it's all going to be nirvana. No, that, that's, 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 not, that's not true purity. Purity is when our desires for love, for union, for intimacy, for, for fulfillment, are aimed at the marriage of the Lamb. Right. And the greatest example of this I think, in the whole Bible, is the story of the woman at the well. Hmm. Let, me, so, let me yeah, explain. Tell me. Yeah. So Jesus comes to this well, and he meets this woman who's at this well. Now, this is Jacob's well. Mm-hmm. And in order to understand what's happening here, you have to go back to the Old Testament and understand that a very, very important wedding proposal— took place at Jacob's well. That's the setup. Mm-hmm. This woman comes to the well. Why? Why do we go to a well? Because we're thirsty. We're thirsty. Yes. Jesus also comes to the well because 
he's thirsty. But Jesus, when he says to the woman, he's, he's talking about uh, where she takes her thirst. He says, go get your husband. See, he's, he's pointing out her deeper thirst. He's pointing out this thirst for love, right. this okay. thirst for union, this thirst for fulfillment. Mm-hmm. He knows that she has been taking her thirst to the sexual relationship. Right. Right? And, and she says, I don't have a husband. Right. And Jesus says, I know. In fact, I know that you've been married to five men in the past. Right. And now the man you're with, number six, you're not even married to him. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of symbolism going on here. How many men had she been with? Six. Right. Six is the imperfect biblical number. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the perfect biblical number, Andy? Seven. Seven. There you go. Wow. Who, who is seven. her seventh lover? <laughs> there you go. Wow. Who is her seventh lover, Andy? Yeah, Jesus. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. See, he's purifying her thirst. He's purifying her desire. And what does it mean to have a pure desire? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Amen. They shall see that what they're really thirsting for is union with God. Amen. Jesus, listen to what he says. Yeah, yeah. He says, he says if you knew the gift, Right. That I wanted to give you. Wow. You would ask me for a drink. Wow. You would bring your thirst to me. And I would give you a water that if you drink it, it will well up in you to eternal life. In other words, if you come to me with your thirst, this water will redirect your rocket engine's to the stars. Amen. Boy, I bet if people are listening to this and they're driving their car and there's any preachers, they just pulled over and need to write that down. I mean, this, this, that, that interpretation of that passage, that story, uh, I've not heard that. Oh man, what a powerful image for us to take. Well, well, here's, see, this is what's so it goes sad further? to me. That's, that's the, that's the depth of the story. See, the whole story of the woman at the well is about true worship, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And and what we all worship worship something. in spirits and truth, yeah, something like that. We all worship something. We worship whatever we think is going to satisfy our thirst. That's what we worship. And sex is the number one idol in all of human history because sex, properly understood in the biblical vision, the union of husband and wife in one flesh is the number one icon of the eternal union with God. Yes. See, we're confusing the icon. We are, we are expecting the icon. That woman took her thirst to six lovers, imperfect lovers. Hmm. She was expecting imperfect love to do what only perfect love could do. That's why she went from man to man to man, because you're not filling me. You're not satisfying my thirst. Whenever we take our thirst to imperfect love, it's never going to satisfy. If you knew the gift that I wanted to give you, you would aim your thirst at me, and now you would be worshiping truly. You would be worshiping that. I mean, the, the very word worship, if you pick it apart, it means worthship. Hmm. That to which we ascribe ultimate worth. 
Jesus is saying, I'm what you're looking for. I'm the ultimate worth. You are looking for me. What you really desire is me. Why? Why? It's, it's the prophet Isaiah. Why do you take your hunger to things that do not satisfy? Come all of you. Come all of you who are hungry. Come all of you who are thirsty. Come. Come. Drink the living water. I am bread come down from heaven. Everyone who comes to me, you will never hunger. Wow. You will never yes. thirst. Amen. I will say that's our, that's our Lord. Yes. He's what we're looking for. Amen. That's true worship. Well, and that's what we're trying to do in the in the Salvation Army, um, and, and I hope all churches that sense is we want to point people to that reality, no matter what's happened, no matter what type of brokenness they've experienced, and that we all are broken in that regard, that we want to point people to a bigger picture for their life. And uh, we have a, a line that we use um, to kind of guide who we are, of our expression of the Salvation Army in Tampa, Florida. We say we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called him or her to be. And so we connect to that idea that there's something more and that you're going to keep on looking to worship all kinds of other idols along the way. Um, But we want people in in scriptures calling us to something bigger. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by WPO Development. I have a good friend, Keith Waters, who's the CEO of WPO Development. And he has a phrase he uses all the time that I have found to be very helpful. And it's this, if you don't know where you are going, any path will take you there. Isn't that true? Both in our personal lives and especially in our ministries. It is critical that we all have a clear plan and a path to where we want to go. Keith and his company, WPO, have worked with the Salvation Army and other ministries across the country and can help you develop a strong mission planning study all the way up to managing a capital campaign. I'm currently working with Keith and his team here in Tampa and would urge you to contact them if you have any planning or campaign needs at info at WPODevelopment.com or you can just Google them and find their website as well. God bless you. Now, one thing that's interesting here is that we've had, we've been talking for almost an hour and we have not once said any of the buzzword culture issues of our time, like um, same-sex marriage, uh, homosexuality, transgender concern. We haven't even used the acronyms LGBTQ. We haven't talked about abortion. But yet, everything that we've talked about for an hour does seem to lay the foundation for how we understand those topics and, 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 and people who are made in God's image who struggle in, in certain areas. And, he, and of course, too, we, we look at the whole gamut of all kinds of sins, not just sexual sins, but even infidelity from a variety of ways we try to satisfy our hunger with um, various forms of McNuggets, like you say. But talk yes. to us about some of those issues and, and how they are expressed as a result of um, the, the thwarting of a, a fast food gospel. Sure. Uh, and to do that, I would, I would like to quote here from Augustine of Hippo. Pretty good source. Uh, he, I think he, yeah, <laughs> good source. He says, he, this is so important, Andy, and, and it, it will help us understand these very sensitive and very prickly, difficult issues. Yes. He says this, those who are lost in their passions, those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. Okay, say that. Re- read that it? again. Re- read that again. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'll say it again. So, those who are lost in their passions yes. 
are less lost than those who have lost their passions. Gotcha. Okay. So what is he saying here? He's saying just what I was saying earlier. Our passions lead us someplace. Our, those passions yes, are our there. Passions, yeah. Our passions at their deepest level are meant to lead us to the ultimate satisfaction of the passion, of the hunger, right. of the yearning. Right? So think of the, the parable of the uh, prodigal son. What caused him to leave the house of the father? He wanted to go out and explore the world and live the high life. And, and yeah, he was, he was hungry for something. Right. He's paid passion. There, right? He had passion out there that he wanted to he fulfill. Had passion. Yeah. He had passion. He wanted, to, he wanted those passions fulfilled. Give me my share and of this. And he state. became a. Yeah, he, he took the inheritance and he went off and he spent it on prostitutes and loose living. And then he found himself at the bottom of the barrel. Right. And he's still hungry. Right. So hungry that he's willing to eat the food of the pigs he was feeding. And it was the same hunger that led him away from the father's house, and he found it unfulfilled. That very same hunger brought him back to the father's house. Hmm. See, in our world today, the sexual revolution, it's like the whole culture left the father's house in search of the fulfillment of that passion. Wow, interesting. And there are, there are a lot of older brothers, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the church today. Yes, yeah. In the church today who are, who are, are resentful. Yes. They've been following starvation. the rules their yeah. whole lives. Right, it's the starvation approach. See, the brother comes back. The brother comes back to the father's house because his passions are still not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And the father welcomes him and and has a has a feast kills the fatted calf yeah yeah meanwhile the older brother who had followed the rules the whole time but didn't really know the father's love yes he's not, he won't come into the party yes this is this is so tragic see this is what can happen we're just focused on the rules and we're not looking at the deep realities of the human heart Yes. We can end up being the older brother who never enters the party wow. happening at the father's house. Staying out what in the is dark that party? in the cold. That, we're out in the dark, we're out in the cold, and we're bitter. Yes. See, the, 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 all of those questions that you brought up, whether it's same-sex uh, marriage, whether it's, it's um, abortion, whether it's, whether it's pornography, whether it's the gender confusion— all of that, all of that confusion, and it is confusion, Right. that comes from having left the Father's house in search of fulfillment of desire. Wow. Okay. But here's the thing. We're, yeah. almost, we're almost at the bottom of the barrel. Wow. The culture is headed for the bottom of the barrel. Yes. And when we reach it, there will be an influx of people who come running back to the Father, and the Father will embrace them. Yes. Because he's already looking for them. He already has his eyes on them. He's already waiting for their return. Yes. And we better be sure that we are not the older brother. Amen. This is so inspiring to me. I I would be curious um, what I'd like you to do. I've never done this before, and who knows? I might have to edit this out. But I I love for you to imagine that you are in an elevator and 
um, there's somebody who's just revealed that they are they've reached they're 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 in the pigsty they're eating the pig food yeah and they're yeah. either um like caught in addiction to pornography they're caught in uh same-sex yes. relationship they're caught in infidelity whatever it is like all all of that game you get you get 10 to 20 seconds what would you say to them to call them and and, and there's an acknowledgement that this is brokenness that this is not what god's best is yes what would you say 20 seconds yeah we'll I, would, give or take I would look <laughs> i would look that person in the eye and I would say, never give up the search. There's more. You're made for more, and it exists. Never, ever give up the search. Keep looking for what you're looking for. Never, ever give up the search, because those who seek will find. Wow. Awesome. Well, I, I imagine that God, the Spirit, led me to say that because there's somebody listening to the podcast right now who's there. And um, take those words of encouragement from Christopher— come from the spirit to keep searching and we think that and that's in part i love what you said like our bodies themselves like the the complementary complementary nature of our bodies points us in that direction like it tells us like we're we're almost we're not complete um I, I, I had the, the kind of embarrassing moment when I was listening to your podcast. My wife and I were, li- no, not your podcast. We, we heard you speak at Asbury Seminary online, and you said, guys, have you ever just been in the shower? And you say, what's up with this? And women, the same sort of yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> you go through that. I'm, I'm, I maybe didn't do that the way you would do it, but uh, I think there's something interesting in that. So here's, yeah, this is the basic principle. See, in the modern world, I'm going to quote again Jesus here. He says, Jesus says, we look, but we do not see. And in the modern world, we are blind when it comes to the story that our bodies are telling. Right. Right. But but Jesus invites us, come and become one who sees. What will we see if we allow Jesus to spit in the dirt of our lives and rub that mud in our eyes? What will we come to see? We will come to see that the body in the sexual difference, reveals the call to holy communion. Wow, yeah. <laughs> holy communion. A man's body does not make sense by itself. And right. that's when I say, guys, have you ever wondered standing there in the shower, why, oh God, did you make me this way? <laughs> uh, a man's body makes zero sense by itself. Right. A woman's body makes zero sense by itself. But seen in light of each other, unless we are blind... We discover the call to holy communion. Yes. Here's the problem. We are blind. Wow. We look, but we do not see. But here's the good news. Jesus is in the business of giving sight to the blind. Amen. But we got to let him do it. You see, Jesus said, if you would only humble yourself and admit that you are blind, I would give you sight. Right. But because you claim that you see... You remained blind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things that you, you do, like in this book, your new book, this has come out, Our Bodies Tell God's Story. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you very generously have given us five books that we can um, give out to people who, if, if you just share a link to this podcast, say something nice about what you've heard and how God's using it and hashtag Captain's Corner. Um, so the title, Our Body Tells God's Story, you the autographed copies you gave us, you scratch out a few words and you say, may, the desi- may, may you discover how, and you put a Y in front of R, 
may you discover how your body tells God's story. So you kind of very much personalize this idea. Um, I, w- I know we, yeah. I, I've taken a lot of your time, Christopher, and I appreciate every second you've given us. I would love for you just to kind of, you, you're not too familiar with the Salvation Army beyond like kind of like the popular level understanding of, of, of who we are. And I explained some of that before we went on um, recording here. But I told you a little bit about the nature of the Salvation Army's service and why we go about serving people who are homeless and hungry and hopeless all over the world. Yeah. Like just last night, uh, globally, um, the Salvation Army provided shelter to 125,000 people. Um, if you can imagine wow. what that would look like, uh, if you put all of our shelters together, um, just here in Tampa, we have an um, emergency shelter for uh, uh, 120 people. We have a sexual trafficking program. There's also a rehabilitation center that has close to 200 men and women who are working through that program. Even though you're, very, you're kind of like new to the Army, what would you, how could you encourage the Salvation Army? You know, I'm thinking of, of uh, a quote that I have in the conclusion of my book okay. that I think summarizes very well the spirit that you're speaking of in the Salvation Army. And I know this goes back to William Booth yeah. and how you were sharing with me before the interview how keen William Booth was on, on the physical and the spiritual coming together Yes, and how in serving the needs of the body, you are reaching the heart, you're reaching the spirit. Yes. yes. And, and this is precisely the mystery of the incarnation, right? Yes. Jesus says, what, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Yes. Right? When, when, when we serve those who are suffering, when we serve those who are wounded, when we serve those who are in physical need, we are serving Jesus. Yes. We are, we are reaching Jesus. And, and this is summarized beautifully in this quote that I have at the end of my book, this is from one of my professors, uh, the late Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti. He was a friend of John Paul II's, and he says this. He says, when the gospel is lacking in a culture, the barometer where its lack is most clearly seen is in the attitude towards the body. Hmm. Indeed, it is the, in the desperate confusion and disarray with respect to human bodiliness, that we see the need for the gospel message. Hmm. This absolutely inseparable relation between the gospel and the experience of the body, he says, can be seen in the fact that from the very beginning, the greatest enemy of the gospel has been the attempt to separate Jesus from the flesh. Right. Remember in, in the letters of John, both in his first letter and his second letter, John says, how do we recognize the Antichrist? He's the one who separates Christ from the flesh. Wow, yeah. And we do this all the time when we spiritualize our faith, Andy. Yes. We are, we are, we are rupturing Jesus from the flesh. Right. Uh, here's, here's the solution. To come back to the mystery of the Incarnation. Hmm. The spirit of the Antichrist wants to rupture Christ from the flesh, but the good spirit is the one who recognizes Christ come in the flesh. And then Monsignor Albacetti, he says this. He says, the whole heart, the whole scandal, the stunning wonder of the Christian proposal is that the word of God, the logos, the logos in Greek means the, the ultimate meaning 
the sense, the beauty, the truth, goodness behind all of creation, that ultimate meaning has become flesh. And then he concludes, the person who accepts this, that the word was made flesh, knows that an attack against the body is an attack against the very secret of God's life. Wow. And that person develops a passion, a passion to come to the help of suffering bodies. Amen. Amen. Yes. That sensitivity, he says, is in the end the decisive proof that evangelization has occurred. Wow. In other words, when we recognize suffering bodies and we want to come to their aid, that is the sign that the Word is being made flesh in our own lives. Wow. Beautiful. Christopher, thank you so much for your time today. You know, we, we just, I hope that people who are listening to you um, today on this podcast might just even, will pick up your book. Of course, you could get a free copy by sharing, like we said earlier. But uh, I, would, I would love it if you uh, were in, invited by people all over the world, and um, in the USA particularly, to preach at Salvation Army events. Um, I've heard you speak before. You, I've, well, I've watched you online speak before youth. Uh, people could just uh, Google you, put it on YouTube, and you can find interviews and presentations that you've done. And um, God certainly used it in my, my life and my wife uh, and in my own preaching. So I just thank you for the time that you've given as you followed the Spirit's lead to proclaim this good news that God wants to marry us. Thank you for your time, and Christopher. You- you are so welcome, and, and may I just share a concluding thought here? Yes, please do, yes. I want to go back to that statement about, uh, from Augustine, who says, those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. Mm. If you out there feel like you have lost your passion, I, I just invite you to, to maybe reflect on, sometimes we have to go back even to our childhood. Mm-hmm. What were the things that awakened your heart as a child? Hmm. Did you have a love of flowers? Did you have a love of, of rocks? Hmm. Did you have a love of the ocean? Did you have a, a favorite tree in your backyard that you loved to climb? Where was your favorite place to go on vacation? What was your favorite music? What was your favorite movies as a child or your favorite TV shows? See, these things, they speak to our hearts. That's why we love them. And, and yes, things can get us in trouble. Our hearts can be directed in the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. But remember, the problem, even if your heart has been directed in the wrong way, the solution is not to squelch your passions. The solution is to allow Jesus to redirect those passions towards him. Amen. So if, if, you've been, if you've lost your passions, pray for the Lord to reawaken them. Yes. Go listen to a song from your childhood. Yes. Go listen to a song that takes you back to that place of, of innocence and longing and, yes. and desire. And let Jesus speak to you through that song. Mm. There's a reason it was your favorite song. Yes. Or if you're like the prodigal son mm. who took your passions in the wrong direction, well, well, realize at the bottom of those passions is a hunger for the food that the Father wants to give you. 
Be not afraid to turn around and come back to the Father. He's not going to scold you. Amen. He's not going to shame you. Yes. He's going to throw the biggest party Amen. you can possibly imagine. It's coming. Because you're coming home. You're bringing yes. your desire to Him. This is our faith. This is, this is what we proclaim. This is the God who loves us. Hmm. He really, really, really loves us. Yes. And He wants to fulfill the deepest desires of our heart. Yes. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. That's it. <laughs> Ye who are weary, come home. Come home. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Man, uh, well, you, like, I, I have a hard time uh, getting people who double my energy, but you, you certainly do it, my man. This is awesome. And if people can't be inspired by what you're saying, well, I just pray that they'll search for those passions. They'll like allow the Spirit to lead them back <laughs> to that. But you certainly are a blessing. Thank you so much, Christopher. We pray God will continue to so bless Andy. your life, it's a ministry. Joy to be with you and, you and your audience.